does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. One of the brightest minds on any network or television you're going to find is our next guest, my friend, the coach, Seth Greenberg. Nice enough to make some time for us. Coach, how we doing on a Monday? Man, are you a big shot now. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, I, I'm talking to the great Jimmy Cook. I'm talking to the great, great Seth day. Greenberg. This is, this is an awesome day. It's a this great is, day, this Coach. Is a big day. This is big. This is big. I'm telling you one thing. I mean, I got a sports center hit a little before seven, but I mean, this is the highlight of the day. There's no doubt about it. I appreciate that, Coach. I appreciate you making the time. Looking at Indiana, there's been ups and downs early on in the season. Now suddenly, Coach Woodson and company, obviously, Race Thompson comes back, plays four minutes, but that's a positive sign for them. Xavier Johnson still yet to be determined when he comes back, but they're finally embracing what they have they're playing tough defense what have you seen over this three-game stretch by the Hoosiers and and are they back on your I don't want to say watch list but are they back on your attention grabbing standpoint for the rest of the season yeah but they continue to play the way they're playing right now I mean think about it. they went through three games they gave up 89 points a game for three games they weren't checking anyone uh, now, since that point, I think they've given up about 55 or 57 points a game. And uh, so, I mean, like, first and foremost, they're committing on the defensive end. Uh, they're pressuring the ball. They're making people uncomfortable. I thought they did a great job yesterday of pressuring the Michigan State guards. I mean, let's face it, if you can beat Michigan State, you've got to make their guards uncomfortable and take, you know, A.J. Hogard and, and Tyson Walker out. And that's what they did, and especially at the end of the game when we saw how good Walker could be. Now, I know he's under the weather, but yeah, I like the way they're playing. Trace Jackson Davis is playing like a player of the year candidate again. They're getting in the ball. He's running the floor. Defensive rebounds. He can initiate your break. You know, if Tamir Bates shoots the ball the way he did yesterday, I think it was five for six from the three-point line. Uh, and Jalen Hood-Shafino's got like got that it factor. He's big. He's physical. He's tough. He's he got a maturity about him. So, yeah, I, I'm really impressed with how they bounce back. Because I'll tell you, it is hard when your team doesn't play well. Uh, it's hard to get your team back to understanding what you know, basically the foundation uh, of what you need to do to win. And I think uh, you know, Coach Woodson, you got to give him a ton of credit uh, how they responded after playing at a level that is not acceptable at Indiana. Coach, why is it, from that perspective, the coaching perspective, why is it so tough, particularly at this level, to get everybody to buy back in when you stumble in a conference that's as tough as the Big Ten, when you have injuries with key players that you thought were going to be in the trenches with you? Why is it so tough at this age? You know, I was just about to do a video for uh, for my social media. Why? Because there's so much static around these young players, whether it's social media, whether it's peer pressure, whether it's alumni pressure, whether it's NIL pressure, whether it's parental pressure, whether it's unrealistic expectation, it's hard to get uh, groups of players to buy in, to be winning players, to be competitive, to get outside of their se- themselves and be committed to the team and winning. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, because you got to check it at the door, man. I mean, you got you got to check your ego out the door. What can I do to help my team win? Not what I want to do, but what? How can I champion my role? And then, as a team, who are we and how do we win? Now, what is the identity that we want to impose on a game? 
Uh, and sometimes that identity doesn't fit what you're hearing with the people around you. I think the static around young people today is so great that you've got to really, it's really, really hard uh, to, to get them to that point where they're playing and trusting each other and then keeping them at that point where they're playing and trusting each other. Hey, Seth, it's Brendan. We talked way back when the NCAA tournament was here in Indy in 2021, and Jimmy and I had our command center going. Uh, is it surprising to you that only we are talking on January the 23rd and only one Big Ten team is ranked? Yeah, it is surprising considering that, you know, coming into the season, Indiana was, what, one, two, or three, and, and Purdue, the one that was ranked, wasn't even ranked. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say it's surprising uh, for sure. I mean, look, the league still has great depth, and I always say, uh, you know, that it's in terms of coaching, it's an incredible coaches league in terms of preparation, and unfortunately, the league eats its own a little bit. Uh, you know, Ohio State I think is going to be good, but they're they're a little bit of work in progress with Zed Geek Key going out. Indiana had their injuries, kind of lost their way a little bit. They've come back. Michigan State is a team that I think is over. Uh, basically exceeded expectation, uh, you know, in terms of how they're playing. Uh, and they're getting about every ounce of energy out of their team right now. And obviously, you know, Jackson Kohler the other day, he looked like Nikola Jokic, you know, zipping around all over the place. Uh, but, yeah, it is it is surprising. But, you know, you've had some things like Iowa's been beat up a little bit, and you know, and, and Michigan State's been beat up a little bit, and Indiana's been beat up a little bit, and obviously Purdue has been – has been the staple, uh, you know, Maryland, the job that Kevin Willis did with his team is amazing. To be able to stay in the game with Purdue is just phenomenal. So the coaching in the league is great. And, I, you know, I just think that that's what sets apart the, the Big Ten. Uh, it's an older league. It's really good coaching, great venues, great atmospheres, great environments. But, yeah, I am surprised there's only one. I'm actually going to have a, a Big Ten game, I think, next week. I think I'm going to have Michigan at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. So. We'll definitely tune in for that one. The coach said three Purdue game. I got a game at a Purdue, I think, coming up. Hey. Ooh, hey, anytime you go to Mackey, even as an IU alum, I'll, I'll say it. Mackey's a, a very fun electric environment. Get the eardrums ready. Be a part of. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The coach Seth Greenberg, nice to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the MotorShop.com. Seth, to Brendan's question about the top 25, I, I don't pay attention to it as much. I look at the net, I look at the, the quad wins, where they're at, and then obviously not just one bracketologist in particular, but I like to look at what the pundits say in terms of where the field is shaping up. In modern basketball, is there as much emphasis on the top 25 as there was 15, 20 years ago? Does it still matter? Uh, you know, like anything else in our society today, everything's analytically driven. So the top 25 is an opinion of pundits. And, you know, the analytics basically uh, – either confirm or, or condemn it. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, I think, they, look, they mean nothing. I mean, right. you know, quite honestly, the, the top 25 means nothing. Mock drafts, uh, mock, mock brackets mean nothing. Right. They just change in the next 24 hours and the next game. So, I mean, like, I don't get caught up in that. I don't even worry about quad one wins this time of the year. Uh, you know, we're in league play now, man. you got opportunities yeah. in the game. So if you're a Power 5 conference, you know, here's the deal. Don't lose to one of the worst teams in your league and beat the good ones. And, you know, at the end of the year, you'll be in good shape, unless you're me. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but, I mean, that's the way it is. So you don't get caught, too caught up in it. Like, you know, like here, here's an example. NC State's got Notre Dame coming up. Can't lose that game. NC State's in position to play in the tournament. Can't lose that game. 
you know, in your league, I think, you know, let's face it, every single road game is an opportunity, oh, yeah. except maybe Minnesota, is an opportunity for a quad one win. Hmm. You know, so I mean, you got you know, you got you got to steal a couple of those, and you got to hold home serve. And if you do that, you're going to put a bunch of teams in the NCAA tournament. Seth, talking about the number one team in the land as of ranked two hours ago, Purdue, nineteen and one. Zach Eady looks to be the most unstoppable player right now in college basketball. Do you get a sense though that this younger version of this Purdue team, with all the talented freshmen, Lawyer and Smith, can they? be different from the last couple tournament teams that exited earlier than they would have liked? Yeah, because I don't think the field is as good, number one. And, look, it's hard to, you know, advance in the tournament. Obviously, you know, Purdue went through what Kentucky went through, and they didn't expect to lose to St. Pete, but that's why you play the games. But I love this team, and I love when people talk about the young guards. They don't play like young guards, I can tell you that Mm -hmm. much. Now, they did spin it up a little bit yesterday. But, I mean, those two guys are not afraid of the moment, and they're high-level, skilled players. But there's an example of the whole sequel to the sum of its parts. Uh, you know, look, Caleb first buys into his role. You know, Mason Gills buys into his role. Lawyer and, and Braden Smith do what they're supposed to do. Uh, Morton does what he's supposed to do. I, I'd say about the only concern you would have is, you know, if someone was able to get Zach Eady and Faltrop for an extended period of time, you know, uh, you know, I think Kaufman Wren's got to be a little bit more consistent, be a little more productive. But, uh, yeah, look, the job that Matt Painter does, I love watching their team play. I mean, think about their execution. Everyone talks about freshman guards. How about the end of the Michigan State game? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. Freshman guards? <laughs> I'd take two grad senior guards, probably couldn't execute that well. So, I mean, like – they're, they're a really good basketball team. Does that mean they're going to go to the Final Four and win national championship? I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing. I mean, in terms of coaching your team and taking your players and putting them in position to play to their strengths and having the agility to play one way with Casey Edwards, one way with the two bigs last year, one way with, you know, Jaden Ivey, one way with, you know, if you look at the, the you know, Robbie Hummel's teams, I mean, you're looking at a guy that has agility to basically create and it's a situation where he puts players in position to play to their strengths and plays through his best players. Coach, you stress this to me all the time, and, and I, I take it with me wherever I go because I love the phrase, and I, I know it's it's a common phrase to an extent, but you say it's not a paper tournament. They're not paper matchups. That's why you play the games. You mentioned Purdue and St. Peter's in that last answer. But when you look at the, maybe not the top 25, but just the teams you've watched this year, you just said it's not as deep as it was last year in terms of people that can win it all. I know it's January. We still have a lot of time until March Madness arrives, but where is that list at? Who's on that list of teams right now that Seth Greenberg's feels could make a deep run, could hoist the trophy come end of March Madness into April? You know, I, I actually think there's more teams. Uh, Bill and I had this argument the other day, amongst other arguments. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, like, you know, like, like every team has a scar. There isn't a team – that doesn't have scars. Like Houston offensively can get stuck. They're playing two bigs. One of them can't shoot. That's an issue. Tennessee, to me, is a team that can go to the Final Four and win national championship. Alabama is a team that can go to the Final Four and win national championship. UCLA, I think, is a team that can go to the Final Four and win a national championship. Purdue is in that category. Uh, I would say, you know, this is going to sound crazy, I think Marquette is in that conversation right now. I absolutely love the way that Marquette is playing right now. I think Arizona is in that conversation uh, to get there. I think Indiana could be in that conversation. I'm going to give you one so far outside the box, you can think I'm crazy. Yes. Besides Xavier, I'm going to give you a way outside the box one. 
If you say college at Charleston, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> no, no, no. Rutgers. Rutgers. I absolutely love Rutgers. Uh, I think that they're big in terms of their big wings, big point guard, experienced, shot making, connected, physical. Uh, they're a team that all of a sudden, well, where did these guys come from? Uh, but I think that they could make a run. I think North Carolina could make a run. Uh, Kansas State with those two guys, uh, Marquise Noel, can make a run with, with Keontae Johnson, who's been an unbelievable, unbelievable story. Uh, those are the ones that, like, off the top of my head. I'm not, I, don't think, I don't think Kentucky's in that conversation. I don't think Illinois is in that conversation. Uh, I'd like, I need to see more of Duke, healthy Duke. But right now they're not in that conversation. Seth Greenberg's our guest on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Seth, I have to get your thoughts on one of the local stories that captivated college basketball in Indiana last week. Mike Bray is going to retire at the end of this year. I'm sure you and Mike had your battles um, during your time on the bench, but just your thoughts on Mike calling it quits at the end of this year and maybe the future of Notre Dame basketball. He's so normal. He's abnormal for a coach. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the guy's he's incredible. What a, what an inc- incredible career uh, he's had. Uh, you know, I, I always say when guys step down, it's not the wins and losses. It's the lives he changed, the bridges he built for people to cross. Uh, but I call him Sinatra because he did it his way. Everything he played. Now, he, he, he got into coaching because he played for a great high school coach in Morgan Wood and obviously he worked with Coach K. So, you know, he, he worked or play for two great coaches. You know, he was a PE major. Uh, but what he was is his own person. So he took basically maybe what he felt he liked from Coach K or from Coach Wooten, but it was pure Mike Bray. He did it in his own personality. And don't you be fooled by the woohoo. I mean, he was fiercely, fiercely competitive. Just a great dude, terrific coach, good friend. Uh you know, and I think that, you know, you get to a point, losing is debilitating. I'm just telling you. And it's no fun. And it, it, and it can beat you down. And I think that, you know, he felt after 23 years, maybe, you know, the program needs a new voice. But, you know, there won't be too long a time before he's, his name's hanging up in those rafters next to my man Fonzarelli. Totally agree. I mean, in terms of we're on the AAU circuit, in terms of approachable coaches or guys just to talk to, and Loved Coach Bray. That's so so great, so normal. He's abnormal. I, I totally agree with you on that, Coach. Uh, it, we've been having this conversation over the last week, and some of the other shows have talked about this as well. I want to get oh, your pulse on it. No, no, no. Well, well, yes, yes, but but not just that. Uh, I guess a two part question then. Where does that job rank in the land of college basketball? It's a really good job. It's not a great job. I mean, they don't they don't pack them in there like Mackey, do they? No, no. They're still they're still a parochial school. They're still you know you know they're working for the Lord. Right. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> a, an, ama- it's an amazing amazing place, but amazing places don't mean much to a college player with NIL and who has one foot in one foot out. And, you know, it's a place that Mike did it the right way. You got to get old and stay old. You got to get guys that fit. Notre Dame, you got to get guys that fit your head coach. Doesn't mean you can't recruit one and done guys, but they got to fit. So, uh, like, let me ask you this: a game in November, are you selling out uh, the Joyce? Is that the name of the place, right? Yep. Uh, you, you selling that place out? I don't think so. Probably not. Not really. Probably not. You're selling out at Indiana. You're selling out at Purdue. So, like, even in your own state, 
uh, you know, it's a it's a different it's a different environment. It's it's a niche, big time job in a conference where you've got probably a little bit tougher academics, uh, and you know, tough travel within the league in the conference, uh, which you know people don't even talk about. But it's that's not easy travel, Notre Dame in that conference. No, I, I mean, it's Seth, just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm a guy I live in South Bend in the summer broadcasting baseball. I mean, the travel from South Bend definitely is not easy, so I guess we'll have to see what happens. Seth, though, my diploma is from Butler University. Thad Mata back in the fold at Hinkle Fieldhouse. I know the injury bug has hit Butler quite a bit, and of course there are, you know, there's some things that Thad has to do, getting the new job and putting the program back together. Uh, how long do you give Thad before things might be clicking again at Hinkle? I think probably two years to where they're going to have it where they want it. I mean, you've got to put two good classes on top of each other. He's got to get it, you know, again, get your NIL in place. I mean, he's, look, he's got a great AD in Barry Collier, who's, you know, going to be supportive of his neighbor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, Fad Mod, I coached against Fad Mod. That dude is just a masterful teacher and coach. But tricky players make tricky coaches. You're only as good as 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 the you know the guys, not the X's and O's. It's Jimmys and the Joes, and uh, you need good players. And uh, you know the cupboard was fairly bare, and they got beat up and injured right now. So it takes time. But I, I'd say in the next two years, I would think that they you know they're going to compete with that league. There's no rock and chair games in that no. league either now. No Providence will punch you right in the face. Connecticut has got an incredible recruiting class, and they are really, really good. Marquette, I love, I absolutely love Chaka Smart's team. Tyler Cola dropping dimes, Cam Jones knocking down jumpers, Oso Iguodaro, you know, just handling the ball, Prosper handling the ball. Uh, you know, they're 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 free flowing. Xavier, you know, the job Sean Miller's done. They're another one of those teams that can make a run to the Final Four potentially. I mean, old team returning their top six scorers. I mean. Fremantle's playing at elite level. So, you know, it's not like you just rolling in, get a couple of guys, and you, you're, you're leapfrogging the dudes. I mean, it's it's not that easy. Coach, the biggest surprise for me, at least the last couple of weeks, has been Gonzaga. There is so much talk about the Zags, Drew Timmy coming back, and, and just reloading for them. And Mark Few always has his guys ready to roll. What is it right now in the West Coast Conference? Is it the conference is, is better than it is in past years? Is it because that it's Gonzaga is always everybody's Super Bowl and they've just stumbled uh, against uh, Loyola Marymount last week? Where is Gonzaga at right now? And is this troubling or is this just the struggles of conference play for anybody? Uh, I think a little bit of that. I mean, the league is much better. There's good coaches in that league. I mean, Randy Benefer right now, is he's, he's at the top of the league. they got to guard someone. I mean, that's where they're missing. I mean, there's no Chad Holmgren behind you, yeah. you know, protecting the front of the rim. They're not guarding. Them. Their defensive efficiency is like 63rd, 65th in the country. I mean, if you look at their defensive field goal percentages, just to keep it real simple, uh, they are not as committed defensively. And then if Strava's not making shots – you need Rasir Bolton to be a little bit more consistent, but uh, everyone wants to put it on Hickman. I just think it's you know they got to guard a little bit better, and then you know, you know, Corey Kispert was 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 a killer. I, I thought that that Strava could be that guy. He's not that guy each and every night. It goes back to my thing I said before: static around dudes, expectation, peer pressure. It's not that easy. It's not that easy to be Robin to Batman of, of Drew Timmy. Yeah, and I get a kick out of Drew Timmy. Oh, I'll tell you one thing: we're going to remember the people who jump it off the bandwagon. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude, stop taking yourself so seriously. I mean, you know, I know you got your own radio show, and you know you're big, 
NIL star and all that jazz, and you're you know you're a terrific, terrific player. But I mean, come on now. I mean, you can't be chirping and flipping your mustache around, and then you know if you if you don't if you lose a game, you lose a game. All right. So hey, you know, I wish we played better. You know, we didn't we didn't do X, Y, and Z. We got to get better at that. Human nature. Anyone does something poorly, you know what, or loses, people are going to have an opinion. You know what? Why are you listening to those trolls anyway? Seth Greenberg is our guest on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Seth, of everything we just discussed, is, is there a conference in the country right now that you think maybe has the most depth to it at the moment? Yeah, it's Big 12. It's not even close. Big 12 is a joke. 12 te- uh, yeah, 10 teams in the Big 12. Uh, and the, the defense that's played in that league is just suffocating. It's suffocating. You see what happened to Kansas. Kansas, Kansas has one loss, and I'm actually going to do this uh, today on SportsCenter. It's great they have one loss, but they got four wins by a total of ten points, yeah. or eleven points. I mean, like, I mean, so I mean, like, come on. I mean, it gets hard to win. They, they, you know, four four of their five wins have came. All right, you think about this. They were down fifteen to Oklahoma State, twelve to Texas Tech, seven to Oklahoma, and three down the stretch to Iowa State. Could have lost all those games. Could have lost all those games. So, I mean, if you look at it, uh, that league and the defense played in that league, and the Big Ten's great. I mean, I love the Big Ten. I just so don't at me on the Big Ten. Relax. Take a deep breath. I love the job. I lo- absolutely love the job. How dare you? Uh, but the Big tw- the Big 12 is a rock fight every night, too. I mean, the defense played in that league, you know, whether it's Porter Mosier, you know, playing in gaps or whether it's the, it seems like the rest of the league keeping you on one side of the floor. And it's hard to it's hard to score a bucket. Like I, I saw this the other day, the team in that league that leads the league in turnover percentage offense at seventeen percent, which I'm not sure I ever had a team that turned it over seventeen percent of their times. <laughs> All right, they lead the Big Twelve in, in in turnover percentage. That's how crazy it is. By the way, the only thing crazy in that is the snow outside my window right now. <laughs> a lot of snow. <laughs> oh my god, it's like blur. It's blowing all over the place. Well. Coach, stay safe out there. Uh, I assume you're. Uh, are you? Are you? Is there a home hit? Or are you? You making a, making a drive? No, no, no. no. We got to go to the studio. They, okay. they don't send the car service for me like they sent for you, Jerry. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll try to make some calls. I think you have a little bit more pull than me, but I'll uh, I'll do what I can for you, Coach. All right, buddy. Thanks Appreciate for making time. Thanks, Seth. All right, guys. Bye. Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. One of my favorites in the association, one of my favorite people around, Bo Estes of NBA TV and NBA.com's Top 10. Nice enough to take some time with us here on a Monday. Bo, I was going to lead off with your thoughts on the Pacers, and we're going to get there, but since the content gods that are the NBA continue to put gifts into our laps, I will start here. There's been rumblings the last year or so that the Lakers and Pacers might be in the market to make a trade. The Lakers' first move in what could potentially be more than that 
by the time the trade deadline arrives, is sending, if Bobby Marks is right, uh, they had seven second rounders to their disposal. They get rid of three of them and Kendrick Nunn to get Rui Hachimura. Uh, your thoughts on briefly on that move, and then does it impact the, the Lakers' ability to make anything in potential if talks resume with Miles Turner and the Pacers uh, later this year? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. It's obviously the start of things for the Lakers. Uh, what they found themselves with is a, a guy in LeBron James who's performing like no guy at his age in the league ever has. And so to my way of thinking, to I, I live out in Los Angeles, to, to the way of thinking of the Lakers fans out here, you got to support that. you got to give LeBron a chance. And so Rui Hachimura is a step in the right direction. My buddy at NBA TV, Jared Greenberg, says the Lakers now have a glut of bigs. Uh, so expect this to not be the last move. Uh, so do they move, you know, several bigs for one big like a Miles Turner in Indiana? Or do they play with what they've got? They, they got a huge win last night in Portland in big comeback fashion. Uh, Hachimura is a guy who can help them in ways that perhaps the other players can't. Uh, Kirk Goldsberry, uh, you know, talked about Hachimura's ability to hit, catch, and shoot threes. He's over 40% on that. Uh, he adds a little size at six foot eight. But if you've got a guy like LeBron who attracts so much defense, you need guys who can space the floor a little bit, and Hachimura can do that. So I think it's the start of things. Uh, I, I don't suppose Lakers fans will be totally happy. I, I mean, I think they'll want more. So that may get Indiana involved. And Indiana's in a struggle right now. And Indiana's, you know, looking towards the future. Can they change things? So, you know, everything in the NBA, it's always drama. There's always something going on. And, and this is this is one of those stories that'll get things moving. Hey, Bo, it's Brendan. And as you just said, the Pacers have flustered a little bit over the last couple of weeks, dropping seven in a row. They're now under 500 with their record. But from a national perspective and from what you hear from the people you chat with, do you get a sense that folks think that the Pacers, with their rebuild, are ahead of schedule? Um, I, I think that there's this with the Pacers. They've got a great, great piece. You, you mentioned their losing streak. It is no coincidence to me that uh, the majority of this losing streak comes with Tyrese Halliburton out of the lineup. Uh, he goes out of the lineup, all of a sudden the Pacers are struggling. So I think that when you get a great piece like Halliburton, and also he's an attractive piece for other players because this is a guy who delivers so many assists right now uh, and is such a wonderful player to play with, I think that that puts them in a good spot. These next couple of moves, or you know, sometimes it's the move you don't make, but how they how they navigate these these next couple of possibilities, I think it's going to be important for them. Uh, you know, they're in the play-in right now as it stands. I don't know that they are a threat, obviously, at the upper echelons of the Eastern Conference uh, right now. But you've got to start positioning yourself for uh, that ambition in the next year or two. Uh, you've got to take advantage of the fact that you've got a guy like Halliburton who can play with many of these young, great point guards in the league and belongs in conversation with those guys. Uh, so I, I think that as long as you've got Halliburton, you're in a really, really good spot. Bo, you mentioned the fact they're in the play-in right now, and for me, it's been... Uh, look, no Pacers fan wants to hear this, 
But when they were winning, it's like, oh, man, they're ready to make some noise now this year. Forget about tanking. Everything's fine. And, yes, having Tyrese Halliburton, like to your point, it's not a coincidence, right? Like, I know there's different areas, but they've been able to respond to runs and get off off the mat better without Halliburton than they have uh, over this losing streak. That's been clear and obvious. When you look at, though, the Pacers, again, to Brennan's question from a national perspective, and Kevin Pritchard sometimes getting a knock for – you know, struggling in the draft at times, there's no question nationally, and maybe it hasn't reached your building yet, but they've hit it out of the park with the likes of, of Matherin and Nemhart to name a few with this rookie class uh, of the 2022 draft. No, I think everybody loves Matherin. I, I really do. And, you know, I was, I was looking at his percentages and, and they're not wonderful, but one of the things that I tend to do is I tend to not judge rookies so harshly, so quick. I look at what they can do, what their abilities are, uh, how they're willing to grow as a player. Um, you know, Jimmy, years ago, you and I broadcast a game that Jalen Green uh, participated in as a sophomore in high school. Uh, Jalen Green gets judged, judged pretty harshly in the NBA yeah. right now, but he's a guy that's averaging over 21 points a game. His percentages aren't that high. Jalen needs to start moving, but Benedict's got a little more time. You know, he's in his rookie year. Uh, he can grow as a player. He's got all the confidence in the world. And, you know, you mentioned Nemhard. That's another guy that, geez, oh, Pete, you, you, get a, you, get a, you start putting together guys like that with a Halliburton, and you just got the pieces in place. You need one more player. I, I was talking uh, yesterday with, with Seth Partnow, who you know, Jimmy, who's, who's a real stats guru in the NBA, and, and Seth, you know, Seth was talking about Luka Doncic and, you know, people saying that it's hard to build around him. And the thing is, in the NBA, you need a star. You need a star to align around. Uh, if, you, if you look back at recent champions, superstars win champions in this league. So if you've got a guy like Halliburton who's pointing in that direction, you're already a long way towards where you need to be. And when you start piecing together guys like Madrid, guys like Nemhard, and, you know, then it depends on who, like I said, who you keep, uh, who you jettison away. I, I think Indiana can be in a good situation. But the, the other thing with this, Jimmy, is where's everybody else? Uh, you know, the Bucks are in great shape. They may have the best player on the planet with another all-star, with a big center that can defend, and a guard who's really tough. So in Milwaukee's great. Uh, the, the Boston Celtics seem to be the best team in the league right now. Uh, so it's it's not only you're getting better, but how great are the teams that you have to go up against night in and night out? There's just a load of talent in the NBA right now. Bo Estes on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Bo, the name that gets tossed around most from a trade standpoint here, of course, is Miles Turner. But, you know, what Buddy Heald has done in Indianapolis, he's become a fan favorite for sure, but it's kind of wild to think about he was almost a throw-in in the Sabonis deal coming from the Kings to the Pacers, and now he's playing arguably what if some of what is the best basketball of his career. How attractive of a trade piece is he right now, not just for the Lakers, but possibly league-wide? Oh, I think he's incredibly attractive. Look, he, he, this is a guy who shoots over 42% on a high volume of threes in a league that is dominated by that three-point shot. I can't imagine him not being a, a terrifically valuable piece. He's not, you know, like like we go back to, he's not a superstar, but he's a guy who can complement, who can floor space, and who can get it done if you need to rely on him in, in a pitch. So 
I think I think that Buddy Heald is tremendously attractive in the way that the NBA is played today. Um, I think you know there, there's going to be a lot of teams that are looking, particularly since Indiana seems to have made it known that they're available to make a move. Uh, they're a willing partner. And, you know, we, we talked about the Lakers earlier. Think about what the Lakers have now as a starting lineup. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, LeBron, Rui Hachimura, uh, the kid from Indiana, Thomas Bryant, uh, and Anthony Davis when healthy. Uh, you get one more shooter there with that crew, and all of a sudden the Lakers may have something. The Lakers may be able to roll and, and play with some really good teams if they're perfectly healthy. So, you may get an attractive offer for a guy like Buddy Heald, which helps also Indiana. The amazing thing about the Pacers to me is the Pacers uh, get Halliburton and they get Heald in this trade from Sacramento, and it's an incredible haul. But this is one of the rare cases in the NBA where both teams won this trade because Sabonis is doing incredible work out in Sacramento. I mean, he may legitimately be an all-star this year. He has an outside shot at averaging a triple-double. So I think both teams knocked it out of the park on this trade uh, and perhaps for exactly where both teams are in their rebuild, uh, which is which is impressive to me. There's another win-win trade in recent NBA memory, to me at least, Donovan Mitchell and Larry Markin. And those two guys have, have proved valuable for their franchises. But it doesn't always happen that way. Bo Estes making some time for us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and themotorshop.com. You can follow him on Twitter at NBA Bo. Bo, when you look at this Pacers roster, we'll leave Buddy Heald out of it for a second. I've gone back and forth if they have to move move him, but he's still making $19 million next year. And depending on what happens with Miles, yes, that would be the biggest contract on the Pacers books, but that's only $73 million in cap space or $73 million in cap uh, allotment that's been taken up with what they're paying in 2023-2024. Let's worry about the elephant in the room. Bo, I've said this, people have said this locally, but just so the audience knows from a national perspective, this is accurate. The deadline to extend players, I believe, is like the 1st of March or the 8th of March, somewhere in March. The deadline to make trades is like the 13th of February. So, Miles Turner, a free agent at the end of this year, there's a two-week window after the trade deadline yep. to where an extension could still happen. But if Miles says no at that point, then you're caught with your tail between your legs looking for, you know, I guess the free agent market next year. The Pacers, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Bo, as a small market team, cannot afford to let Turner walk for nothing if he and his camp say we're not signing an extension. They have to move him at the deadline, No. And that's the thing, uh, Jimmy. You don't want to be caught, uh, you know, with, you know, with nothing when the music stops playing. And if if Miles Turner decides, hey, my music's over in Indiana, and you get nothing for it, it's trouble. So I imagine, I imagine that management is really in communication with his representatives to get a feel of things, uh, and hopefully. Uh, you know, you know where things stand if you're Indiana. And that's their job. That's the front office's job. And if they, right. if they know exactly uh, where Miles stands on his future in Indiana, look, to me, he could be a key piece of a big rebuild there and, and could be, a, you know, a nice player going forward for them. How much money does he want? 
you know, stuff like that are questions that Indiana has to answer. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to, you know, there are teams all the time that get caught in that situation and it hamstrings your franchise going forward. Uh, I, I don't know where what I think of Miles Turner as far as, um, you know, elite, the word elite, but I think he's that next tier down uh, that can be a valuable piece. Uh, but Indiana's front office got their work cut out for them, frankly. They got a lot of work to do to make sure that they get the next year right so that they can point forward and become um, one of those top-tier franchises in the Eastern Conference. Well, last thing for me here, and I know you mentioned earlier, the Pacers don't necessarily play a threat to the top teams in the East from that play-in region if they were to come out of it. But as you look at the East right now, that top six, Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Cleveland, Miami, is there a team in that group that has a leg up over the others right now just from a momentum standpoint? I think it's I think it's definitely Boston. I, I the, the challenge is uh, the same thing I thought last year is is also true this year. I think that when absolutely healthy, absolutely healthy, and that's not always guaranteed. I think Milwaukee's the best team in the NBA. Uh, they've had real troubles with health recently. Uh, meanwhile, Boston is absolutely dominating, folks. They score 118.5 points per game. That's the most in the Eastern Conference among those playoff teams. Uh, and they play reasonable defense in this era of madcap scoring. Uh, and I think that they can ratchet it up. Uh, so, you, you know, if you're, if you're talking about safe bets, the Boston Celtics are the safe bet there. But to me, no team, no team can match the talent that Milwaukee can put out there if they're 100% healthy. And I imagine that they've got a chip on their shoulders because they lost to Boston in the playoffs last year with their all-star Chris Middleton out. Uh, that, that changed the balance of that series. So, if, if you know, if I'm picking, I think Boston's got more depth, but Milwaukee has more frontline talent going right at them. He is Bo Estes, the NBA.com top 10 goat maintainer. Nice enough to make some time for us as always. Bo, I appreciate you, my friend. I hope we catch up soon. And uh, thanks for making time for us as always. Oh, and enjoy that LA weather for us. It's uh, it snowed a lot yesterday. <laughs> I'm looking at the golf course right now. Take care, folks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Bo. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The voice you will hear right now from the Indianapolis Colts Radio Network, our good friend, it is Casey Vallier on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Casey, we're going to talk some Colts. We're going to talk some head coaching search. I want to talk about this weekend. Just get your thoughts on Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and Brock Purdy being the final four quarterbacks remaining. In any way, does that surprise you, my man? I don't think it surprises me. I mean, I would say clearly Brock Purdy is not somebody who, you know, if you asked me two months ago, that's who we'd be talking about. Um, but clearly the way that he has played over the last handful of weeks and months, that he definitely deserves to be in that conversation for guys that have been playing at the top of the level at this point. Um, I'm really excited. I think you've got easily three of the top quarterbacks in the NFL playing this weekend, which is what you want because it's a quarterback-driven league. It's a quarterback-driven sport. And that's what you get this weekend for sure. 
Casey, I walked less than 3,000 steps yesterday. Uh, did you top me there or no? Because I was pretty much glued to the table. I'm not going to combine both in there because I walked a little bit on Saturday. I had some some uh, broadcasting to do in the evening. But uh, I assume you were parked to some extent. I obviously know your father as well, so maybe not fully. But uh, Brendan asked you about the quarterback matchups that are there in the in the AFC Championship, NFC Championship round. But divisional weekend as a whole, your takeaways, your thoughts, uh, were you able to catch some of it? Oh, you know, it's funny. I don't think I walked 3,000 steps in Saturday or Sunday combined. Because <laughs> it was one of the first weekends I can remember where literally as an entire family, we kind of, I mean, I'm sure people out there listening are like, wow, you didn't get your kids out and do anything. No, we didn't do, we literally did nothing. We sat around and watched. My kids were probably, you know, they were back and forth watching a little bit of football, but mainly doing their other things. I've got five-year-old twins and a three-year-old. So football and just kind of anything really doesn't keep their attention for very long. But between my wife and I, we watched a lot of football. And yesterday, honestly, I laid around until about noon before I even got up because I was up watching football on Saturday. Didn't really want to do much on Sunday. The weather outside is kind of what it is. So, you know, we got up, we did lunch, we ran to the grocery store and came back, and we literally sat down and watched football again on Sunday. It was a great weekend. That's exactly how the offseason should be, Casey Valway, who is our guest on the hotline, yes. brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Obviously, Casey, I know the goal, though, as a member of the Indianapolis Colts Radio Network, is not to do that on January the 22nd. You want to continue working into the playoffs, of course, for the Colts. And the story right now, Casey, of course, in search of a new head coach. Interviews happening all across the board. Jim Irsay is tweeting out nearly every interview that happens. I guess my question for you, Casey, right now is compare and contrast the styles that the Colts are looking for right now because, of course, the hot coordinator aspect seems to be the theme for everybody, but offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, how do you think each could either help or hurt the Colts in the long run? That's a, that's a great question because I think you're seeing that the Colts, I mean, when they talk about really doing an extensive search, I mean, they are doing that. I mean, they are interviewing almost everybody, it seems like. Anybody who has been tabbed to be a head coach, you look at the Colts and they've at least talked to them. Um, there's a handful of people who have no experience, a handful of guys who have been there and done that, and then a handful of guys that have been coordinators for a long time who are you know, probably on that next rung of getting their opportunity. So it's very, very interesting. And as far as finding you know, kind of a, a fit, if you will, I, I think that's all dependent on their, in, their expected staffs. It, it's hard to say that a guy comes in because more than likely there's going to be a lot of changeover. And with that, you're going to have a changeover in the roster potentially. You also have that looming question with the fourth overall pick. What do you do at quarterback? And a lot of times that's going to kind of dictate how everything looks. So right now it's almost like it's not really a clean slate, but it's almost like a you know the, the, the canvas is a little bare and you're trying to figure out what pieces are going to be on that canvas. Casey, when you examine the list of potential candidates right now, and again, to kind of preface this, we understand that Casey works with the team, but we also understand that Casey is a uh, civilian as well, so we're just getting his <laughs> thoughts as a, as a football fan as a whole. Uh, when you look at the Bengals as a whole, obviously Lou Amaruno is not getting – or he hasn't put his name out there in the head coaching process. I don't know if anybody's interviewed him, but I, I mean, I would if I was a owner out there with how just, just electric the, the Bengals, the name, the name alone, know? but then the, the Bengals <laughs> is a defensive uh, team the last couple yep. of seasons. What they did to Buffalo yesterday was outstanding. Uh, but when you look at the Bills and you look at where 
just in general, this coaching search is at for the Colts. Dan Quinn's name has been out there, as well as Eric Bieniemy for Kansas City, Brian Callahan in Cincinnati. Uh, just a couple of names there, Mike Kafka. and Wa- I'm naming offensive names because that's who I really want to see as the next Colts head coach as an offensive mind. Right. Uh, your overall thoughts on those teams' performances this weekend and just how you think that type of mindset uh, with those organizations taking a piece from a AFC finalist or an NFC finalist would do for Indianapolis in the long run? I mean, it can't hurt. I mean, that's one of the things that when you look at this list of the people that they're they're talking to, they're guys that are still playing. And that's one of the things that when you look at it, you're sitting on your couch watching, that's what you want to be. That's where you want to be. And these guys have put forth a plan that's gotten their respective teams there. I mean, you mentioned Eric Bieniemy. I know, Jimmy, you're a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. So I'm not sure how you'd feel about him leaving your beloved Chiefs. Um, but he's definitely a hot name and has been for a handful of years. I you mentioned Brian Callahan, the son of Bill Callahan, who's been a head coach in the NFL. Um, and, and, and there's some, there's a handful of other guys. I mean, D'Amico Ryans, I know he had, to, he had to cancel his just to kind of focus on the San Francisco stuff, but he's the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. Very hot name. He hasn't rescheduled yet, but everything will have to, have to happen after this falling week. And then also you've got, you know, with, with what's going on with Dallas, Dan Quinn's been a head coach. Also Raheem Morris, a Rams coordinator. He's been a head coach. I mean, they are they are literally painting the board with guys who have lots of playoff experience for all four teams. If the Colts can get the D'Amico Ryan's interview rescheduled, they'll have a coordinator from all four of the remaining teams right now ready to line up, which is impressive because those are the guys that are winning. And that's what it takes in this league. You know, I mean, you can you can have all the accolades, but at the end of the day, all you want to have is winners. And right now, that's what this Colts team is identifying. Are these guys that have won? There's a handful of guys that I would say I would love to see. I'm kind of in a I'm in, I'm in a different boat when it looks at what I'm looking for from my personal standpoint. I like a guy who's been there and done that, like a Dan Quinn, Raheem Morris, guys who have seen a lot. So nothing's going to, you know, necessarily give them a little question. But then I'm also in the realm. Well, I don't, I don't dislike being the guy who finds Zach Taylor, who finds Kyle Shanahan, these young guys, these Sean McVeighs, who maybe they aren't established as a head coach, but you look at, you look back on what they're doing now, and you say, wow, if we'd have gotten that young guy up and coming now, look at where we'd be. So I, I'm kind of one of those that. Do all your research. If you if you find a candidate, regardless if he's been in the NFL for 30 years or five years, if he's the guy, then go for it. Casey Valet, our guest on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Casey, a guy like Wink Martindale interviewing for the job right now, the veteran of all veterans when it comes from a defensive coordinator standpoint, I realize you mentioned at the top of this interview, they are talking to literally everybody possible. <laughs> They're bringing in all kinds of minds and voices. So clearly only one of those guys eventually is going to get the job. So there's going to be a lot of guys that get the uh, deny letter. But how much right now with all of the people coming into the building, talking with Ursay and Ballard and the rest of the organization, how much can the organization in front office learn and gain a perspective of sort of the outside noise and outside thoughts of the organization from all these guys coming in? 
100%. That's what I've been actually, that's what I've been telling a lot of my family. They're asking me, hey, are you hearing anything? And I'm like, you know, they're doing their research. And part of this, it's for not just necessarily being a head coach. It's also to kind of get intel on what other guys are doing. You kind of pose a question with, here's what our scenario is. What would you do? And then you kind of go, oh, that's something different than what I would have thought. I can use that as I move forward. So all this is doing, it's just, I mean, I mean, if you want an honest opinion, what it's doing is it's taking some of the best football minds and getting all of their opinions into a giant bag, and you're going, well, we can use this, we can't use this, we can use this. Or it's also one of those things where you look at it and say, hey, we've interviewed these guys, and if we hire this guy, I want to tell them that, hey, I really like what that guy told me. Maybe he can be our coordinator. Maybe he's – so that all of that, it goes into it. It is – It is so important to get intel on what you're looking for in a coach, but also intel on what the rest of the league is doing because ultimately it's a copycat league. Everybody knows that. You don't want to be left behind. You you always want to find something new and innovative, but you also have to have that intel on what everybody else is doing. So that's part of this process as well. Casey Vallier, nice enough to join us via the Motor Shop and Fisher's hotline and themotorshop.com. You can follow him on Twitter at C. Vallier Colts, the in-studio host of the Colts Radio Network, as well as the uh, director of broadcasting along with Matt Taylor for the Colts Radio Network. Casey, I have been more on the train of I want an OC in there. I like a young OC. I, I like just the the hot, flashy name in terms of coming from high-powered offenses, whether it's enemy, whether it's Callahan, wherever they go, that's what I want. I don't want to pigeonhole Brendan, but I feel like he has advocated for the defensive mind. He's equally okay with that. Not what the Colts are going to do, but what Casey Valier prefers when he looks at his hometown Colts. Where do you think can be the difference maker on one side of the ledger, if at all? You know, that, that's a great question because I don't know if I really have a definitive answer because I'm I'm still under that same belief with whether or not it's an offensive or defensive mind. I think figuring out who the guy is under center is so key. Yep. Um, and, and I'm not – it's not a stab on who the guy's here. I mean, I, I don't know what decision the Colts go. You hold the fourth overall pick. You've still got all three quarterbacks under contract. So it's you, you're in kind of a, an interesting situation. Um, and, and that's, I think, the most important part because I, I think you can see you link up a really good quarterback with a defensive mind, and it works because you get a good offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and you surround him with guys who are going to elevate his game. But then also do you want to get that young offensive mind who's already been there and done that with some of those young quarterbacks you talk about brian callahan he's a guy who you link up who he's been with i mean look at what he's doing right now with joe burrow that looks pretty good in burrows in just year three so you almost look at it as like maybe that's the way we want to go so it's it's interesting i think you know that the game the game of football it we're all in a fantasy football mentality we're all about scoring so offense is always going to be first of mind what we all want so i'm sure that there's a little bit there that Deep down, all of us as football fans, that's who we want our teams to hire is the offensive mind who can go out there and figure out a way to score more points than the last guy and all that stuff. But ultimately, I think it's so important to make sure that you have that connection between, you know, whoever that quarterback is and whoever his coach and offensive coordinator are going to be lined up with everybody else. I think that is so important. Casey, sort of the great unknown in all of this with all these new candidates coming in is the in-house candidate that has already interviewed, and that's Jeff Saturday, the interim head coach of the Colts in those last eight games, went one and seven. So Saturday going to the interview table, Casey, 
it could probably be hard to sell yourself when you're a one in seven interim coach. But of course, he's got the historical factor and the already in place relationship with Jim Irsay. So put yourself in Jeff Saturday's shoes, Casey. What do you think he said to the brass to kind of sell himself that this thing can work with him as potentially the head coach? Yeah, that's a great question. I think ultimately what he's going to hold his hat on is, you know, at the end of the day, I've been in those locker rooms. I've been a winner and I've been a winner here. Um, and he's had, you know, he, he's got a leg up because he's been with this roster. He's been with these guys. He knows what makes some of them tick and what, what he has to do for this, that, and the other. So in some ways there is a little bit more of the inside perspective that he has. Now I know Bubba Ventrone, the special teams coordinator, he also interviewed with it. So he's been in that locker room. He knows, you know, the, the, the crew that they have here is, as far as the Colts roster as it's assembled right now. Um, but for Jeff Saturday, I think ultimately, and we kind of heard that from what Jim Mercer mentioned when they, when they hired Jeff, and then also kind of what Chris Ballard mentioned in his end of the year presser that, you know, we're going to look at what he did, but ultimately you look at the, 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 the end result with a little bit of a, in a little bit of a caveat that at the end of the day, it wasn't his staff. It wasn't his plan that he put together in those early months in, in February, March and April, getting everything ready. When you, you boost up to camp and you go out and you just that plan you have in place and you, you perform it. He didn't, he wasn't able to get that. So I think ultimately I really do think that it is a fair slate for all the candidates and Jeff Saturday is no different. I think he's got, his his resume, when you look at NFL coaching experience, is going to be a lot different than a lot of these guys. And I think everybody is under the same, okay, we understand that. So it's going to be, you know, ultimately what he is going to take from those seven, those eight games that he played and say, hey, here's what we did, here's what I'm going to change, and here's the people I'm going to put in place to change it, and here's my plan. I think that's the way it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be so much graded on what he did. It's more on, okay, let's take what we've done and learn from it on how in 2023 we can correct those those mistakes that we made. Casey, when you're a coaching candidate or you're trying to go through this process and interview and gunning for the next top job, there's a handful of options this year, not as many as years past, at least for right now, we joke about Mike McCarthy, but who knows what the Cowboys are going to do any second or in the next right. week and a half. But <laughs> when you look at the Colts as a destination, let's focus on the offensive side of the ball for a second. This roster is obviously going to change between now and next season, but what is attractive in your mind to a aspiring NFL head coach and those that are interviewing for this job? What is the most attractive aspects of this roster on offense right now? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think you got to start with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, here's a guy who... You know, he's just a year removed. I know this year was was an injury-riddled year, and sometimes that happens with you look at all the running backs throughout, you know, NFL history. They have a year where they have a handful of injuries, and it it's one of those things that just comes with the territory. Um, but Jonathan Taylor, he's still in his prime, still a guy who – you know, any given Sunday can go out and, and break a handful of plays, and all of a sudden you look up and he's rushed for over 200 yards. So that's definitely appealing. I think Michael Pittman Jr., maybe he didn't take the uh, the, the big steps that everybody was hoping he would, but having the, the quarterback carousel he had, he wasn't able to really get over that plateau. Still had almost 100 receptions on the year. I think he's still a very, very good wide receiver in this league. And I think you saw some flashes out of guys like Alec Pierce. He's a guy who... 
can take the top off the defense and get another year under his belt to kind of you know really hone into that route tree. He's a guy that can be a consistent receiver in this league. Um, and then Jelani Woods, the rookie tight end, who, you know what, it seemed like when he had the football in his hands, he was making a big play. You want to see a little bit more consistency and maybe the ball thrown his way a little bit more often. But those are definitely three pieces – three or four pieces that are really from a skill position standpoint, that's definitely intriguing and, and wanting to look at. And then ultimately I, I know that this year, the offensive line definitely regressed, but I think you still look at guys like Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly, and they have that track record of being really, really good offensive linemen. So I think if you kind of solidify the five and you really work on that five throughout all of the offseason, because those guys are under contract, you look at that and you could say, you know, we can we can fix this offensive line because we've got three guys who have proven it. This year's kind of an outlier that that have proven that they can be Pro Bowl caliber players. I think that is definitely appealing because ultimately we're still talking about how we didn't mention a quarterback in that crew right there. And that's going to be the biggest thing. And if you have an offensive line that you can put around a quarterback and you give them some more weapons, I think that is the key. And that's what makes this this appealing. One, because ultimately there's only 32 of these jobs, too. So that is the appeal. Because at the end of the day, being a head coach, there's only 32 of them. So that's definitely going to be an appeal. But when you look at it, there's still a handful of pieces with this Colts roster that, I mean, think about where we were talking about. I mean, Brendan, you were there. Jimmy, we were there in August talking about how this team – we, we expected a deep playoff run with the roster they had. Now, you know, they didn't live up to the expectations, but I still think there's a lot of talent there. You just get the, you know, you get the guys in the right spots. I think they can change it. Casey, what you just said about the quarterback leads me into my next question. Chris Ballard's end-of-season press conference. Of course, he was asked about the future quarterback of the team and what steps he would be willing to take the guy that the organization wants. And in layman's terms, what – what Ballard mentioned is that he'll do anything it takes to get the guy that the organization desires. And of course that either means trade up or, or do whatever scouting, advanced scouting, whatever they have to do, but you can get the right guy, of course, or get your guy. But at the end of the day, Casey, this coaching search, it's going to hinder on the new coach and whoever the new quarterback is, they're going to have to develop some quick chemistry, just judging, Casey, of course, what's happening in the division right now. Jimmy and I were talking about the Jaguars earlier and what Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson have already done. So really, Casey, when you make this decision with the coach and then ultimately the quarterback, they're not going to have a lot of time before they're thrown into fire and expectations are already going to be high. No, I mean, you're not going to have a lot of time, but I think that also brings you to a good point, though, too, because you can look and see how fast things can turn around. That's one of the things we have seen in this league for so long. I mean, the Bengals struggled and struggled. They get Joe Burrow, and they're in potentially back-to-back Super Bowls. You know, it's, it's that quick. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, ultimately, I know that, you know, they lost on Saturday, but that was a game that, you know, it could have gone either way. I mean, it was it was a pretty competitive game. You had a handful of blunders from Jacksonville that, that turned things around. But Jacksonville was a team that there were a lot of people picking to make an upset over Kansas City. And, and he's in year two or year three. So it's it's one of those things where it's it's very interesting at how quickly things can turn around now. That is one of the things you got to get it right. And that's what Chris Ballard is always talking about, that if you make that quarterback selection – it doesn't matter if you make the selection just because you're making it at the top of the draft. Everybody's going to praise you when it happens, but you've got to make sure you get it right. Because we've seen over the years, especially when you talk about this division, I mean, we saw Jacksonville for a handful of years pick the wrong guy. 
So it's so important to pick that guy. And, and and I think that's why this coaching carousel, this this all these interviews, everything that happens. I think that's why it's so important because you got to find both of those pieces. You got to find the right guy to coach the quarterback that is going to elevate your franchise. And I think ultimately, when you look at what this division is looking like, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of play where the Colts can be right back in the thick of things because I think we saw Tennessee kind of go a little over that hill. They they're on they're almost on a downward downhill spiral, and then t- and the Texans are kind of in the same boat with the Colts. They're trying to figure out where their direction is. They're trying to hire a new head coach and all of that. So ultimately, right now, I think Jacksonville is is easily the front runner to win the division. But behind them, it's kind of a toss up. So that is also another. When you look at this division, you know you can catch you can catch lightning in a bottle, and all of a sudden you're right where Jacksonville is here in 2023. Casey, and that bounces over to me with my follow up to that, and you already teed off on it. I think it's clear and obvious after their playoff run, and after the fact that again, I know Mahomes is on one leg, but if the Bengals or if excuse me, the Jaguars don't have a couple blunders here or there, yeah, that very well could have been a Jacksonville upset in Kansas City. They have the quarterback. They have the head coach. I said it last week. I think Doug Peterson was one of the top three, if not top two, coaches that were left in the playoffs going to the divisional round. Jacksonville is the front runner in my mind, and now it's everybody giving chase to them. How much more pressure does that put on Indianapolis? Because the the words that were used when Trevor Lawrence was drafted, not by everybody, but by some, was that, here you go. Here's the Jaguars finally getting the right side of the coin. It was Manning right. and Luck for years, and now they right. have their guy, and now the Colts are on the other end of that spectrum trying to give chase. How much more pressure does it put on this organization internally, maybe not next year, but knowing they need to get this right over this two- to three-year span, and it starts first with knocking the head coach out of the park here in a couple of weeks? Oh, 100%. I mean, uh, you know, from top down, that is the one thing that this organization has always preached is win the division. And you know what? It hasn't happened since 2014, and I'm telling you, they all know that. That is one thing that is very evident throughout this building over here on West 56th Street, that ultimately that is what they are trying to do every single year is win the AFC South. And since the last time that they have won the division, every team in the division has won it twice. And I'm telling you, that gets under everybody's skin over here. I'm I'm not going to say it puts extra pressure, but they know the importance of getting the head coach, the quarterback, all of that right so that year in, year out, you're just competing. That's what you want to do. You want to put yourself in a position where you are competing because ultimately through about – I don't know, week seven, week eight, everybody thought it was a runaway with Tennessee, and then all of a sudden, here comes Jacksonville. They did enough to keep compete and stay in, and here they were. So ultimately, you have to do enough just to keep yourself relevant, keep yourself competing, because divisions, they're won and lost all the time on a couple games here and there. So if you're just in the mix, that shows how important it is. And for this Colts team, as I mentioned, you're not that far off because there's three teams in the league that are going to be trying to battle for Jacksonville. So, therefore, if you can be one of those teams that just elevates your game a little higher, you can just be in that conversation. Casey, last question on my front. AFC-NFC championship game. Ignore me. I'm not here. You can break <laughs> my heart if you need to. You, you, you do whatever's right in, in, in your heart and your mind. Uh, who do you have moving on to the Super Bowl this weekend? You know, that's a, that's a good one, Jimmy, because if, if Patrick Mahomes had two healthy ankles, yeah. 
I think it's hard to bet against him. But I think ultimately if he had two healthy ankles, it's also hard to bet against Joe Burrow right now and that Bengals team. I think that's going to be a great one to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I see it going, you know, I think right now, I think the Chiefs are, what, a two-point favorite, I think is the early line I saw. I mean, it's a toss-up. I think ultimately, though, there's just something about Patrick Mahomes this year without Tyreek Hill. I think he wants to go out and just say, hey, you know what? I can do this without all these guys you think that have made me who I am. And Travis Kelsey still being in the mix, I mean, you see how good he is. I mean, the dude's unbelievable. So I think ultimately if the defense can just – if they can just get Cincinnati off a rhythm a little bit and force – Joe Burrow to, to force a turnover because they're one of those teams that just don't hurt themselves. If they, if Kansas City can do that, I think I have the leg up on Kansas City. And then I don't know who's going to beat Philadelphia. I mean, honestly, I know that the Giants were definitely an inferior team, but that game was, I mean, it was not even competitive. And, and ultimately, I don't know how you stop it. I mean, they, they, are, they are good on both sides of the football. So I ultimately think it's going to be Philadelphia-Kansas City and it's going to be a tough one to pick when it comes to the Super Bowl because it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Andy Reid, but then it's just Jalen Hurts and that Eagles team that is just – I mean, we saw him here, and the Colts had him on the ropes, and the Eagles were able to do enough to get over the hump, but that Eagles team is really good. So those are my picks, is Philadelphia and Kansas City. And maybe I gave a slight edge to Kansas City just because I like it, Jimmy. Yeah, you're the best. <laughs> you you heard it from the man. I, I mean, did. run to your sports books immediately. Minus one, <laughs> one point favorites. By the way, right now the uh, the public okay. has come hard on Cincinnati. I would assume because it was two and a half yesterday, and here mm. we are. So yeah. Casey Valier is the man, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Casey, enjoy the next couple weeks, my man. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks, Casey. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The voice of Indiana, Don Fisher, nice enough to join us. Don, as I bring you in here... To the fray, you were there at Assembly Hall. Building was bumping. Are, are we back, Don? Is the season back on track? Come on. <laughs> well, it would appear so. Obviously, three losses in a row to start to renew the start of the Big Ten season and then to come back and bounce back after pretty disappointing losses to both Northwestern and Penn State, along with the Iowa defeat, which, I, again, I, I chalk up some of this uh, – of these three performances that they played with the illusion that race Thompson was maybe done for a long period of time. And, and being the second starter from this lineup, uh, a psychological factor, I think for this basketball team that they had to overcome, but it took them a while to do it. But all that said, uh, three straight ball games against really quality teams in the big 10 to win all three of those ball games, one of them on the road at Illinois it's it's uh it's there's no question it's a turnaround and we saw a different basketball team play in these three ball games uh of late uh all three wins were impressive uh it wasn't just slipping by these teams indiana kind of made sure it was a dominant performance in all three cases you got to give these guys credit for for you know re-energizing themselves reinvigorating themselves uh psychologically overcoming the 
the problems with the losses of the injury situation. So I'm really proud of these kids, and I'm especially proud of Trace Jackson Davis because I think he's been the spearhead uh, for this ball club in the turnaround. Don, I know that you and myself and Brendan, we, we don't often dabble in the X's and O's, and, and that's not my question here for you, but you have seen more IU basketball than, than, than anybody I have in my uh, in my contact sheet. So I will ask you this, what is different about this team? Maybe not schematically, but just the overall feel over this last week and a half in this three-game run. Well, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint everything, but but the big story was after the loss to Penn State, uh, there was a, and I I don't know how to put it or phrase it. There's a way I could phrase it, but I don't think it's an appropriate one. <laughs> but I I do think that this team had, uh, a, a, they first of all they had a, a meeting of players only. That that was one of the things that took place, and then Mike Woodson I think has basically said. Uh, this is going to stop, uh, or I'll know the reason why. That's kind of what my grandparents used to say. <laughs> um, and honestly, there's no question that I think these guys finally figured out that look, if we don't, if we're shorthanded, it's it's an opportunity for other people. And the other guys that uh, we've looked to at this point, Tamar Bates, uh, Jordan Geronimo, uh, Trey Galloway, all of these guys uh, generally have been uh, allocated to the bench. And now they're getting in starting roles and getting an opportunity to show themselves. And whether that was a big part of why this turnaround has taken place or not, I don't know. But I do know that these guys were all talked to. And whether it was individually or as a group uh, by coaches or players, uh, they found a way to turn this thing around. And, you know, again, it's hard to pinpoint everything that took place. But the, the one thing you can see is that, they are playing so much harder than they were in those three losses, or especially two of those losses, and then half of the of the Iowa ball game as well. They're just playing differently. They're playing with more intensity. They're playing with toughness. Uh, you saw yesterday the chippiness between Indiana and the Michigan State players at times. Uh, we hadn't seen a lot of that. I guess maybe the best word I can use for what for this turnaround is they're playing with passion. And for heaven's sakes, you always want to see players in Indiana play with that kind of passion. And we just haven't seen it consistently from this team until now. Fish, a big difference from last week's visit to now three-point shooting. We were talking about the Wisconsin game and the one-of-eight performance from three. You still find a way to win that game by nearly 20. Well, of course, Michigan State, nine of 15, 60% on threes. Tamar Bates goes five of six. Trey Galloway goes three of three. I mean, Fish, if you're able to parlay that type of three-point shooting with the way that Trace Jackson Davis plays in the post, I mean, this Indiana team is going to be very tough to beat. Well, and, and you go back to the Illinois game, they were 8 of 19 in that game from three-point land. So this team is starting to prove that they're a better shooting team than we've seen at Indiana in a long time because uh, more people are doing it. And, and that's been a big problem for Indiana for a long while. They have had nobody that's consistently been able to knock down three-point shots. Now you're seeing three guys, maybe four guys, that are able to do that. Uh, Trey Galloway, in my opinion, should be shooting more threes than he's shooting right now. Miller Cop obviously is a guy that we know can shoot threes, but he doesn't take hardly any. And, and then uh, Tamar Bates is, is the guy that everybody thought was going to be spectacular. He had two scoreless games against Wisconsin and Illinois. He comes back yesterday and knocks down five threes. So you've got a group of guys now that you can count on, that, and Jalen Huchifino is certainly capable of doing the same thing. 
So you've got a, you've got a whole gaggle of guys that that can actually knock down some three point shots and open things up a little more inside. Uh, I, to, to, for the life of me, I still do not understand why Illinois or Michigan State, for the most part, didn't really double team Trace Jackson Davis and try to take that away and see if Indiana could beat them shooting threes. But the same at the same time, I'm glad they did because it helped <laughs> Indiana rejuvenate this season. Don, take us through, and I'm sure you have a ton of process you're going through on game day, but I was genuinely surprised to see Race Thompson back already. IU obviously releases a statement about an hour or so before tip saying that he's going to dress. They'll make a game-time decision. Uh, were you surprised at all by that news, and then were you ultimately surprised that he actually got, uh, I don't if know if substantial is the right word, but he got a decent amount of playing time in this ballgame? Well, I, the the thing that uh, I wasn't surprised, and I'll tell you why, because I was told uh, leading up to the Illinois ball game, there was a chance that he might dress for that contest. Now he didn't, but he was there. He was at the Illinois ball game uh, when he when they told me there was a chance that he might dress for the contest at Illinois. I thought, well, that means he's obviously been through rehab. Whatever he's doing, uh, he's got a chance to play some basketball now again. So when he when he didn't play in that game, uh, it didn't surprise me that he didn't play because he didn't he really didn't have a uniform on. He was in sweats. But uh, when he was warming up for the ball game yesterday, there was no question in my mind he was probably going to get to see some playing time. He, he still doesn't look like he's a hundred percent by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he, I don't think uh, I got to look at see how many minutes he actually did play in this game for. So he was only out there very briefly. Right. But it was just good to see him back on the floor. He got a standing ovation from the crowd when he came in for the first time. Uh, that had to help him confidence-wise and, and make him feel good about what he was doing out there. He just wasn't as mobile as we've seen him in the past, and he wasn't taking any chances. You could just tell he was kind of being cautious out there on the floor. Uh, that's probably one of the reasons he didn't play a lot of minutes. And I understand that because, obviously, he doesn't want to re-sprain or even you know make the injury even worse than it is, but – the good news is he's out there again. He's practicing now again. He didn't practice much leading up to this ball game. I'm sure he was out there for a couple of practice sessions before they went out there on on Sunday. But nevertheless, he's he's going to develop more and more playing time just because as it goes along, uh, it's going to start feeling better and so on. So uh, right now, I think that's that's a great positive sign. I just hope Xavier Johnson can get back as well here in a short period of time. It's Probably not going to be any time soon, but we're still hoping for sometime early February or mid-February that he would get back and try to help this team down the stretch run. Fish, I realize there's a long way to go, and you mentioned what was brought up after that three-game losing streak and how that was handled internally, but do the last three games give you a sense that any of the problems dealt with from Iowa, Northwestern, and Penn State have been resolved, and much of that is now a thing of the past? Well, I hope it is. Uh, again, we've seen teams in the past that go through little stretches where they get hot and then they cool off again. Last year, Indiana was in so many close ball games and just couldn't quite get over the hump in a bunch. And then they had that losing streak toward the end of the season, and that was part of it too. They just they didn't know how to finish, or at least they couldn't finish, or they didn't finish well. But then they got hot at the end of the season, and they won those two ball games in the Big Ten tournament. They actually, could have won the third one if Chris Murray doesn't knock down or Keelan, Keelan uh, uh, the Murray kid. Anyway, the one that's in the NBA now, Keegan, uh, yep. he knocked down the the big shot that kicked Indiana in that one and knocked him out of the tournament. But they played so much better in those three ball games. Well, 
This is a chance to add to that list now. They could get a fourth and a fifth game here this week with a game at Minnesota, a team that's struggling at 1-7 and seven in conference play and an Ohio State ball club that has bounced back with a win, but they lost five in a row, I believe, just prior to their latest victory. So th- this, this is a week that Indiana can add to their ledger and their resume and even build it further and give themselves a chance to still be in the hunt for a Big Ten championship. And that just all by itself should be motivation enough for these guys to get through it. Fish, there's been ups and downs for them as highly touted recruits, but they've looked very, very sharp and impressive over the last three games over this winning streak. Uh, What have been your overall takeaways from Malik Renew and Tamar Bates? Well, both of them have gotten better. There's no question. Uh, And so is Jordan Geronimo. Those three guys, all three of those guys have made pretty dramatic improvement in their play here in the last three or four ball games. So uh, I think that's a real plus for this team. We, we said all along from the beginning of the season uh, up until we've had the injury situation that this was a very deep basketball team and they had nine, maybe 10 guys that could really give them solid minutes every time out there for a while that played out. They weren't playing the competition and, and these guys were taking advantage of it. And then when the t- competition got tougher, all of a sudden that bench shriveled up a little bit and uh, now you only have six or seven guys that were making the big contributions for this ball club and so uh, you know again at this point uh, you just have to feel good about those guys and the fact that they're starting to come around and starting to feel their best and confident in what they're able to do out there and they're playing their roles that's the big thing mike has asked each of these guys to do throughout the season we have a role for you play that role, we may elevate you in that role in some way, shape, or form if you show us that you can handle it. But, you know, at times we just haven't seen a consistent performance from some of these guys, and that consistency is the key to getting them to play their best. Fish, as you said, three ball games coming up, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Maryland, but that game on February the 4th is looming against Purdue, who is now, again, the number one team in the country as of 43 minutes ago. I, I know Trace Jackson Davis had some swagger to him after the game against Michigan State, saying after that performance he doesn't think there's anybody right now that can sufficiently guard him. So that Purdue game coming up, how excited are you to see that post-battle at times that could involve Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady for the first time in a year? Do you guys, do you guys, let me just get through the next week, would you please? (laughs) (laughs) At this point, I don't want to think about that matchup. Don, we're young. We're ignorant. We don't know. Come on. (laughs) I know. Well, I'm old and I know better. So just understand, of course, everybody's going to be excited to see that if, if, if things continue as they have here in the last week or so. But uh, if things turn around, Indiana gets knocked off in one of these two ball games coming up or, or doesn't win one of these games or starts playing like they did before, you, you, there's so many things that can happen right now. You just take them one game at a time. I know that's coach speak and it's cliche and all that kind of stuff, but it's really the truth. It's the reality of the situation. If you get past your skis here, you're going to be in real trouble. And right now, Indiana's got to take care of business with Minnesota and Ohio State this week. All right, we won't super sim the season just yet. We'll we'll, we'll keep it. We'll keep it a game at a time. And I uh, we always appreciate you making the time for us, Fish. <laughs> Not a problem, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Fish.